on Freeview, there are even whole channels given over to Christmas movies like this. And you'll be really glad to know that as the minister, your minister here in Connor, I am far, far too busy in December to be sitting down and watching Christmas movies. But there are people in our house who watch Christmas movies. And when you see snippets of them along the way, it doesn't matter if it's a different movie, it feels like you're watching a little bit of exactly the same movie every single time. Because the plot always seems to involve a small-town girl who goes to New York, becomes really successful in business. She's engaged to a rich guy who's really annoying. And then she goes home for Christmas, and she finds herself in the middle of a crisis trying to save the family Christmas tree business. But who could possibly help her sort things out? Well, it just so happens she meets that guy from high school who she could never stand back when they were at school to get together. But now, well, he seems quite nice, and he's pretty good-looking as well. It's a shame that he lost his wife in that freak snowmobile accident, but at least he's got a cute little daughter to remember her by. And in the end, he helps her save the family business. And then when she gets snowed in for Christmas, they realize that actually they love each other and everyone lives happily ever after. Well, apart from the annoying lawyer back in New York, but he never really gets mentioned at the end of one of those movies. And maybe as you hear that, you're thinking, yeah, Philip, you must actually watch those movies all the time. But I promise you, I don't, and nor do I need to, because that's what happens in every single Hallmark Christmas movie. And so my advice is, if you ever want to watch one, skip on to the end, because you don't need to watch all of the stuff in between. Let's face it, we know exactly how it will turn out. Now, maybe that's the way you feel about the book of Ruth, as we have been working our way through this story over the past few weeks. In terms of our sermons, we've got to the halfway stage. We've got to the end of chapter 2, and you have a pretty good idea as to how this is going to turn out. In fact, someone told me this week that they read on to the end and sounded a bit apologetic about that. That's great. If you want to read on, read the Bible for yourself, absolutely, and see how this all pans out. In fact, we have a good idea that this story that started so badly, that started with famine and death, will end really well, because that's the hint that we were given last time in chapter 2. We think of what we heard about Boaz, this man who had shown Ruth such kindness, who had allowed Ruth to come into one of his fields. And Naomi says of him, in chapter 2 and verse 20, that man, in other words, Boaz, he is our close relative. He is one of our kinsman redeemers. And it's that word redeemer that's all important for us today. Boaz is identified as being their kinsman redeemer, the one who steps in and saves the day. 
And today, for those of us who are Christians, we can say of Jesus that He is our kinsman redeemer, that He is the one who stepped into this dark and sinful world in order to save the day. And knowing this about this story in Ruth, knowing how it all ends up, we might be inclined to fast forward right to the end and to that final picture that we had on the screen for the kids. Let's just get to the bit where Boaz and Ruth get together, where they become husband and wife. But if we fast forward to the end, there is so much that we would miss out on. And so, I encourage you today to turn in your Bibles with me for a few moments to Ruth chapter 3. And as we look at this specific story, this specific chapter, we can say of this that this is a love story because Ruth makes her intentions really clear and Boaz is delighted at what he hears. But along the way, it is also a story of intrigue and jeopardy. And any good story, any good film, any good book needs some jeopardy. And the jeopardy is that this plan that Naomi devises at the beginning of chapter 3 could go badly wrong. And that would be very bad news for these two women who, remember, are so dependent on the help of another. So, let me really quickly summarize the events of this chapter, and then there's a couple of comments that I want to make that I trust will be helpful to us today. At the beginning of the chapter, we read how Naomi, who is so concerned about Ruth having a future, sees an opportunity for a bright future for her daughter-in-law. That bright future is in the hands of Boaz. And so, she tells Ruth to make a bit of an effort. She says, right, I want you to look good and to smell good. And when they're having their evening meal at the threshing floor, then you take your opportunity. I want you to go and lie down at Boaz's feet when he settles down for the night. And she tells Ruth to trust this man, Boaz. She says in verse 4, he will tell you what to do. And so, in the story, Boaz wakes up. He discovers Ruth there, and she indicates her desire that he would act as her kinsman redeemer. Boaz is more than pleased that Ruth has come to him and desires him to act in this way, and so he gives her a promise before that night is over that he will take the steps required to redeem Ruth, to put everything right that is so terribly wrong. Now, for us who are reading the details of this chapter today, here in 2023, lots of this seems pretty strange, doesn't it? There are elements of this story that it's not easy for us to fully understand. And because the, the customs and the, the rituals of that day and that society are so different from ours and seem so strange to us, some people can be very wide off the mark in how they understand this chapter. In fact, some scholars who read the Bible tend to read it like a textbook 
was absolutely no love for the one that it points to, the Lord Jesus. And such scholars take very liberal interpretations of this chapter. When you read what they have to say, they argue that this narrative is a very elaborate nudge-nudge, wink-wink kind of narrative, and that it's pointing to the fact that this man and woman got up to a lot more that night than taking off shoes and lying at feet. And you know what? Such an interpretation says much more about those scholars' iniquitous hearts than it does about the character of Ruth and Boaz. Because remember what we've discovered about these two people. These are standout people. Back in the day of the judges, that time when everyone was doing as they saw fit, and as a result were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, Ruth and Boaz stand out for all the right reasons. Remember that Boaz, as we're introduced to him at the beginning of chapter 2, is a man of standing not only in terms of the land that he owns, but the character that he has. He's described as being a worthy man. And then regarding Ruth, well, in this chapter, in verse 11, Boaz lets her know what people think of her. He says, all my fellow townsmen, the people of this town, know that you are a woman of noble character. Boaz is worthy. Ruth is noble. So, please don't judge what is going on here by the standards of their time or by the, the behavior of most people in their time. And definitely do not read this and judge what's going on here by the standards and behavior of most people in our time, in our society. And so, if we really trust God's Word to be true, if we believe that what we are reading here in chapter 3 is exactly what happened what can we possibly learn from this chapter? As sweet as this story is, what could it possibly say to us here in Connor in 2023? Well, let's be really clear. This is not a template for dating or for trying to find the right person if you're single and seeking. So, please do not surprise the person you like by them waking up and finding you lying at the foot of their bed. That would be really weird, possibly illegal, and it will not get you the person of your dreams. But really seriously, let me leave you with a principle and a great encouragement from this, this passage, a truth from chapter 3 that shows us how to live the Christian life, and then a truth that encourages us as we live the Christian life. And the principle is this, to live boldly as God's people, that God's sovereignty, the truth that He is in control and His loving kindness should cause His people to live with boldness. So that what you see here at the start of chapter 3 is that with Naomi, there's no hanging about. When she understands what is best for Ruth, she gives very clear and bold instructions to her daughter-in-law. She says, look your best, smell your best, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor. And the thing is that Naomi's proactive plan 
and Ruth's willingness to go for it and follow all of these bold instructions shows a real faith in action. Naomi planned all of this, and Ruth executed all of this with an awareness of the Lord's hand upon their life. Remember that in the case of Ruth, even though she was not one of God's people by birth, back in chapter 1 verse 16, she says, your God will be my God. There was that conversion. And in chapter 2 verse 12, there's this understanding that she has come under the Lord's wing. And as for Naomi, well, what we discovered at the end of chapter 2 in verse 20 is that her trust in the Lord was renewed by the kindness of Boaz. And so, for us who are believers in Christ, the key thing is this, knowing that God is sovereign, that He is in control, should not lead to inaction. It shouldn't be a case of thinking, well, if God has everything sorted, then what's the point? I'm just going to sit back and let it all unfold. That's not biblical faith. That's fatalism. It's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, trusting that God is sovereign, believing that God is in control should lead to action. It should lead to confidence to act in obedience to God's Word. Not to live recklessly, but to live boldly, pursuing opportunities to serve God and to serve others. And maybe you see such opportunities opening up, and you should see opportunities. And we see this boldness from Ruth. She goes to the threshing floor at nighttime, not a place for a young single woman to go to, but she believes that Boaz is a godly and honorable man, and she trusts him enough to ask him to be her redeemer, believing that he will do the right thing. And people, it's as simple as this, knowing that God is in control should prompt us to action. So, that's the principle, to live boldly, understanding that God is in control. But then, the wonderful encouragement, and it is simply this, that this passage once again helps us to understand the way in which Jesus is our kinsman redeemer by faith in Him. Remember what we discovered last week about the role of a kinsman redeemer in this society, that for a woman to be left on her own, to be left without a husband was bad, bad news. And so, the Lord, through His law, made provision for widows and orphans in these circumstances. That according to the, the law in Deuteronomy, a brother had a duty to marry his dead brother's wife, and if there was no brother around, then the next closest relative could take up that challenge and redeem that situation, could put everything right. And what we discovered about Boaz is that he had to be willing to do this. It was not a compulsory thing. And that in fulfilling this role, as we'll see finally next week, he gave these women a bright future. They had no hope without his intervention. 
And if you have repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus, well, here's the really good news for you today. In Jesus, you have a kinsman redeemer. And so that we understand just how encouraging a truth that is, let me focus finally on one final verse in this chapter. When Boaz wakes up, when he realizes that there is someone there, he asks who it is, and you'll see in verse 9 that Ruth doesn't just identify herself, she boldly asks Boaz for his rescue. She says in verse 9, I am your servant, Ruth. But then she continues, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. And let's be really clear about this. It's not Ruth saying to him, here, give me some of your blanket there because it's pretty chilly in this place. No, there is real symbolism attached to what she is asking Boaz to do. She's effectively saying to him, Boaz, spread your wings over me. That's how the ESV translates the verse. She's saying, Boaz, take me under your wing. Fulfill your role as my, my redeemer. And some people might think, who does Ruth think that she is asking Boaz to do that? She's very bold, and yes, she is. She has incredible confidence as she asks this of Boaz, so much so that she says, you are a redeemer. She doesn't say, you might be a redeemer. And when you add in that kinsman, that family bit, what she's effectively saying is, you, Boaz, you are my redeemer. Well, how can Ruth be so bold? How can she be so sure? It's a confidence that's certainly not based on her merits. She already acknowledged how unworthy she feels of Boaz's interest and his help and his kindness. Back in chapter 2, verse 10, she asks that question, why have I found favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? I'm an outsider. No, this is a confidence based on what she knows about Boaz. Remember in chapter 2, that comparison there is between Boaz and the Lord, that Boaz was godly. He, he thought like God. He acted like God because both of them show loving kindness. And she knows this. And that explains why she is there in a place where she had no business being in the middle of the night. Because she knew Boaz's character and she trusted him as her redeemer. And today for those who come to Christ in the way that Ruth came to Boaz, in desperation, in total dependence, as we threw ourselves at his feet and as we ask him to take us under his wing, he treats us in the way that Boaz treated Ruth because Boaz embraces his role as the Redeemer. He jumps into action so that Naomi sums it all up and her it's going to be in verse 18 when she says, this man 
will not rest until the matter is settled today. And we know that the Lord Jesus did what it took to redeem His people from their sin and its awful penalty. This is what Christ does for every sinner who comes to Him in repentance. He covers them with His blood shed at the cross. He brings them peace with God. And through the blood of Jesus, you will find real security under the wings of His Father. And so, I ask you today, do you know His rescue? Do you know His security, His peace? Do you know Jesus as your Redeemer? And here's a final encouraging thought. Ruth boldly approached Boaz, not because of who she was. She was a foreigner. She was unworthy. She approached him boldly because of who she knew him to be. And so, when you're seeking everyday rescue from the Lord, from all of those situations that trouble you, the things that you and your family are going through, and when you seek eternal rescue from the Lord, you can boldly come to Him. You can approach Him with real confidence, not because of who you are or what you have done, but because of what you know about Him. And I don't know about you, but that's really good news for me. It's really good news for a sinful person like me, because some days, in fact, many days, before I've even got to seeking the Lord's grace and His help, that everyday help, and before I, I get to Him and, and talk about that eternal help that there is in Christ, I already get things so wrong, things that I think, things that I say, things that I do, so that I have a sense of unworthiness, maybe you have that feeling as well. Who am I to be coming to the Lord to seek His grace, to seek His help, to seek His rescue? But then I remember the gospel. Then I remember that I can approach Him not because of who I am, but because of who He is and what His Son Jesus has done. So that because of Jesus, through trusting in Him and what He has done for us. This is how we can approach God. Summed up in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Is this how it is for you? It can be. By first coming to the feet of Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen.